As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. All right, everybody working up. Everybody's working. With that time, yours. You may have expected that just because the Chiefs were off, this show would also take time off. And if that's what you thought, you just don't know that show very well. You don't know exactly what kind of heat we bring on a now twice a week basis, even though Nate's not here. Nate Nate isn't here. And Seth wasn't here last episode. And so, <laughs> you know, really, am I the straw that stirs the drink? Of course. But Seth's back. And it's not just the two of us. Uh, for this episode, we figured, you know, Nate and I could handle it. But jo- another Josh and Seth episode, we didn't think that the people would be ready for. Yeah, I'm with you. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. We're, we're self-aware. At the very, we, here's the thing is you had so much energy four seconds before we started this episode. I, that I thought you'd have something for I, I went I went from sugar high to sugar low. I'm all over the map. It's like the crash after, you know, when you eat an entire pizza and for a minute you're like, oh, these carbs are giving me power. And then like 10 minutes later, you're like, I'm never going to move again. And that's that's kind of where that's kind of where my energy went there. I but don't... I'm excited. We don't take days off in this podcast. I might as a person, <laughs> and Nate might as a person. But this podcast, Danielle might sometimes when we feel like torturing someone else and making them listen to us for an hour, and then hearing their soul just slowly just draining of energy as they talk to us after. Anyway, this show is kind of this, a whole pizza, is what you're saying. Yeah, this this show, there is no other option. I've, if you read our Apple reviews, which by the way, rate and review us. Say something nice, because I'm the type of person that I'll read like 20 good reviews and read one bad one, and I will walk around with that bad one the rest of the day. Just like, man, I do joke around too much. <laughs> you know, like, I just yeah. question myself as a person. But anyway, this podcast does not take days off. We take days up. That didn't make any sense. That didn't make. Okay. We take days on. Oh, that you can put. You can put that on a. You can I cross was, stitch that on a pillow. Are you okay? Was, Did you just have a whole pizza? Distance. No, I'm planning on it at some point today because I worked out and so I earned it. That way, I won't make any progress towards losing weight. I, but I listen. I think we could use in general just more sort of neutral days. There's nothing wrong with a few neutral days, and that you know that's what the yeah. show usually is like. Without Nate, the show becomes a neutral. But that's not the case today. It's not just me and Seth. 
Uh, we've talked for a couple of weeks now about getting the one and only Ethan Douglas on the show with us. You can follow him on Twitter at Ethan C. Douglas, formerly known as in, as recently as this morning, whenever I tagged him on the wrong account, as at Chiefs Analytics. He's not there anymore. He's at Stephen, Ethan C. Douglas because he's a human being and not two just, you know, random words back to back, but also does a bunch of great work now with us here on The Athletic. Ethan, Thank you for joining us. Absolutely. Happy to be here. Excited to talk Chiefs. I'm, we clap now for this. Seth's not going yeah, to because yeah, you guys, are, like you guys have a beef. It's a whole thing. <laughs> um, I I am. We're going to talk about a bunch of things today. We're going to take questions today. We're going to, again, go any number of directions here. Um, but for me, I'm just sort of nervous about being here between, you know, someone who thinks that like the Chiefs should basically be Bill O'Brien and trade away all their pass catchers for more running backs and someone who thinks that running backs should legally make the minimum wage. Like I right now, I feel no longer like the, uh, like the well, sort of Ethan extremist. believes that running backs should be drug out into the street and shot. I was okay. going minimum wage. I was okay. going minimum wage. It seems, it seems only slightly less cruel, but like federal minimum wage, not like East coast state minimum wage. Yeah, yeah, sure. yeah, yeah. I sure. think it's seven twenty-five in Kansas right now. Mm-hmm. Like maybe it's just the NFLPA could probably get federal minimum wage figured out. I think at the very least. <laughs> that that sounds like something they could accomplish. But no, I'm I'm excited. I I was curious. I had an over under with myself when I found out that we were gonna have Ethan on. Ethan, I'm so excited to talk to you, man. Likewise, this is, this likewise. Is good stuff. You he, so for people who don't know. And you should know because you should read everything I write because, you know, my ego needs it. Um, Ethan is the 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 mad scientist math man behind all of us realizing that Patrick Mahomes is breaking third down. And yes, that's if it were if it weren't for the work that Ethan did, I would have just gone on my merry way thinking Patrick Mahomes is merely really, really good on third down. And it was thanks to Ethan that we discovered, well, you discovered, and then you told me, and then I wrote about it and tried to claim all credit, but people realized you did it somehow. I don't know how. (laughs) And that he's, like, historically awesome on third down. So basically anything Ethan says, you should listen to. Anyway, the bet I made with myself, I was like, oh, Ethan's coming on. That's awesome. And I thought, I wonder where I should put the over-under and how far before Josh tries to pin me in as, (laughs) as like, the three yards in a cloud of dust guy. Because now, especially with Nate not here, it's Josh's chance to, like, hey, hey, let's talk about Clyde Edwards-Alaire and first-round picks the whole time and opportunity costs. And I put the over-under in my mind at one minute and took the under and I was right. I don't think you were. We talked about we talked about taking no days on for at least a minute. That took okay, at least a minute. After you introduced him. Okay. It doesn't so the, to the, be the, fair, to be fair, Seth, there's one other thing I helped you out with a while back. In fact, it was like the first thing I did for my Chiefs Analytics account. And that was in favor of running backs for the Kansas City Chiefs specifically. Yeah, the screen stuff. It was the screen stuff. And, and target, it was that yeah. overall Passing to a running back, maybe not the best idea, unless you're Andy Reid. <laughs> unless yeah. you're Andy Reid. <laughs> I remember that story. Yeah. Uh, Man, a legend is is with us is the point that uh, <laughs> I think people need to get across. Yeah, At least the, in my opinion. The thing for me that's kind of most exciting about this is realizing that Ethan, in his first uh, epi- first appearance on this podcast ever, has a significantly better mic quality than one of the original three hosts. He <laughs> continues to use his little kid's uh, gamer headset that he also uses for his Xbox 360 to fight teenagers on Call of Duty. It's really, it's kind of crazy how crisp he sounds. Thank you. Thank you. 
I'm choosing. <laughs> okay, so here's what happened. So my good mic, my good mic is at my office where still. it's permanently installed. It's drilled into the wall and it cannot well, be brought home. It, the 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 setup. So people don't know this, but like the setup of of the mics that 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 we have are they're they're kind of complicated. There's a bunch of bands and like trying to like set it up in the stand correctly. And when I moved, some of the bands got lost. And I'm afraid if I move it one more time from point A to point B, my stand, it, it's like hanging on by one rubber band at this point. <laughs> and so I, I'm just doing the best I can. It's like, well, hey, why don't we record today? Which I think I'm, I'm the person who said that. You suggested so that! I did. I did. <laughs> and I thought I would be at the office. And then my wife said to me, and this is, I mean, we're, we're going pretty far afield of football talk here. But yeah. my wife said to me, Oh, you're you're going to be at the office for longer than an hour today? Now, those of you who aren't married and who are younger bucks, Ethan, how old are you? I've never asked you this. Yeah, so I'm, I'm 25. I am married, though. So I, I relate to whatever you're about to say. <laughs> I was literally thinking earlier today about how one of the weirdest parts of my mid-20s has been like meeting people and then finding out that they're married and being like, that doesn't seem that you're we're the same age. How is that? And then you just I just had another one of those moments just now. <laughs> that's that's just gonna keep getting also, worse, but that's that's your cross to bear. Also, it's uh-huh. crazy, Seth, that like Ethan and I are your age combined, which is wild. Uh, this is going to be a fun episode. I can already tell. It's like Josh unleashed without Nate here to be like, you know, Seth, I appreciate you. So this is going to be great. Anyway, so so my wife says to me, because so it, it, it's it's Veterans Day. Happy Veterans Day. Thanks to everyone who served. Um, and so at my, I, I, I got the day off because, you know, I'm, I'm a county attorney, you know, government day off. And I figured, ah, I'm going to go into the office for a little while, get a little extra stuff done, right? Get a jump on tomorrow. And my wife asked me, oh, you're, you're going to go in there for longer than an hour. Now, to the uninitiated, <clears throat> Josh, that probably just sounds like a question. Like, oh, you're going in there for longer than an hour? But that is not a question. That was an <laughs> indictment of my, of my willingness to be part of my family and love them the way a real man does. <laughs> And so I immediately pivoted strategy and said, of course not, sweetheart. I'm just going in there for one hour to draft a single order, and I'll bring Isabel with me, and then I'm going to be right home. And she's, oh, well, you don't have to do that. Once again, translating for you, I don't have to do that like in the sense like she can't physically make me, I don't think. You don't want to test it. <laughs> yeah, I'm not willing to test that theory, like yeah. you know. And so, anyway, so that's why I'm once again recording on my headset, which I think sounds just fine. I'm glad that you think that. <laughs> <laughs> that's like when we were texting a few weeks ago, and you're uh-huh. like, "Well, that's interesting." Uh-huh. That's an interesting way of looking at it. I believe <laughs> that's an I interesting said. way of looking at yeah. it. Yeah. Uh, let me do this really quick because there's a, a bunch of stuff that I want us to all get into, and and some stuff that we can talk about that's not running back related, even among the things that are. But first, like just to sort of timestamp when this show started, moments before we we hit record, McCole Hardman was put on the COVID nineteen reserve list by the Chiefs, which came a few minutes after Adam Schefter put out these two tweets. I, we do not know these things are related for the record, but these just sort of came out right before the show. First, Schefter tweeted. Chiefs have asked NFL to, the NFL to launch an inquiry with the NFLPA after a union rep conducted an in-person meeting with all KC players late last month, and rep allegedly was unmasked while meeting and mingling with the players in close proximity per source. 
Concern is that this is a violation of NFL and NFLPA protocols, and the rep is not subject to same testing as players and personnel, and regularly travels among clubs per source. NFL and team believes this created unnecessary risk of exposure to players and staff. Therese Paler tweeted that the NFLPA did look into this shortly thereafter, or has looked into it now. Again, that was late last month. There's a chance that could be connected to to, uh, McCole Hardman's situation, but if we're talking about a five-day contact but not a positive test, those things would actually be unrelated. So all of those are just sort of weird moving parts that we don't necessarily even have to try to... um, to, to decode at the moment, but just stuff that we know as of right now. Obviously, if Hardman had close contact with someone who did test positive but doesn't test positive himself, he'll be back well ahead of the uh, the end of the bye week and all of that. So theoretically, good timing on that front if it doesn't end up actually being a positive test. Uh, do either of you think that I missed anything or do you want to move on to all of the juicy bye week stuff? Ethan, you're the guest. You get to talk first in response to all questions. I mean, I, I think guest. it'd definitely be a bummer on the football field if Harvin's not out there against the Raiders the past couple of weeks. He's he's you know had an increased role and and done more with the ball. But outside of that, no thoughts. You know, with Hardman, his usage has been a little bit different the last couple of weeks. I wrote about that um, before last week's game against Carolina. And he, he was getting a little more targeting at intermediate and shallow levels and was doing pretty well with it. He does have three drops in the last two weeks of the exact same nature, right? Where he's looking for yak before he gathers the ball in. And he's got to get that figured out. Travis Kelsey used to do it all the time. He seems to have figured it out. Tyreek Hill used to do it all the time. He seems to have mostly figured it out. Although it happened to him against Carolina. It's a bummer. Um, it's kind of weird. It, it's just a good reminder that there's still, you know, a lot of stuff going on in the world right now as we focus on football. Also, Kansas City particularly is in a real red patch right now in terms of COVID cases. So um, we we kind of like to theoretically bubble off the sports from you know the rest of the city and everything. But these guys aren't traveling anywhere. Andy Reid said that. I believe on Monday he, he addressed that. That could have been, I think it was Monday, where he said no one's traveling because everyone still has to continue uh, to get tested. Obviously, Hardman got uh, I, either tested or flagged, and we may know more information by the time the podcast is over, or you may know more information by the time you're listening to this podcast. Anyway, that's the news. Uh, on the uh, on the, the conversation side of things, we mentioned that, Ethan, obviously, you, you do all sort of uh, data analysis for The Athletic, and one of the big picture things that I just wanted to, like, have you explain, because I think it would be good for everybody, is what you do right now with the uh, athletics power rankings. You mm. you developed, I, th- I mean, it says, it says develop. I'm giving you all the credit in the world for this. The expected power rating, the EPR, which shows up in Shield Kapadia's power rankings where you have that, he has his subjective rankings, and uh, the Chiefs are at number one. They're number one for his, number one for the EPR, number one overall, obviously. But I, I just would, would love it if you would uh, basically explain the EPR and the logic behind it as if you were explaining it to two idiots. Not that you are, but like if you were maybe <laughs> to two idiots that didn't actually understand it fully. Uh, I would perhaps love to, a golden retriever. <laughs> that's, if like a golden retriever and then maybe one slightly dumber dog. And I'm not saying which one is which. <laughs> 
<laughs> but uh, I just I think that that this is super impressive, and I think everyone could use uh, a little backstory on kind of what you did in that regard, and maybe even also kind of w- why it, it rewards the yeah, Chiefs. Yeah, absolutely. So this was actually it was Shields' idea. I um, mean, was basically you know my job at the Athletic is to analyze all sorts of data around sports, around our, our the business side of things. Um, but obviously, you know, I, I love analyzing football data and around the Chiefs. And he was like, hey. I've been doing these power rankings and like subjective power rankings are fun and cool, but like, what if, you know, obviously you have quantitative skills. I think we can do a bit better than that and come up with some kind of model to rank teams. So this isn't like a novel concept by any means. Like ESPN has uh, their football power index, FPI, football outsiders has their DVOA, 538 has an ELO model, which, which rates teams. Um, but that's essentially in the same vein of what this is, right? It's a, it's a team strength rating. We call it expected power rating because unlike, some models or measures, it's an expectation. So it's not, okay, up to this point in the season, which teams have played the best, which is one way of looking at power rankings. It's, okay, given how teams have played up to this point in the season and last season, how they played last season, how do we expect them to play moving forward? So it's like, okay, from here to the rest of the season, which teams do we expect to be the most powerful or the the best teams in the NFL? I mean, that's really what it is. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. And so, I mean, I don't know where in the gears it sort of all stitches together in terms of, you know, how how that as the 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 goal behind it actually ends up in the mm-hmm. product of it. But like at the very least, I mean, there are very few points where where you, the the EPR and and Shields ratings diverge, and when they do diverge, it seems like they diverge by very very little. Is there is there anything? in that process that you think people don't understand or, or that play a, a bigger part than maybe people think about? Yeah, I think so. So when, when we're talking about the expected power rating, the EPR, what goes into that is essentially every single play that a team has ran during this season and the last season. And what I've done is I've looked at the efficiency of those plays, right? So that's through mm-hmm. expected points added, which has been talked about on the show before. And, and it's talked about some on Twitter. It's becoming a more popular metric um, to measure like the efficiency of an offense or a defense. But what I've done is I've kind of broken the performance of a team down into different components, right? So like they're passing offense, they're passing defense, they're rushing offense. But I've gone even further and said, okay, they're early down passing offense. They're late down passing offense. They're late down passing defense. They're special teams. How many, like how efficient have they been because of turnovers? Maybe they're just scoring a lot because of turnovers. So with all of that nuance, of exactly how teams have scored points, 
we can actually get like a really predictive and a really powerful measure of which teams will be good moving forward. Um, and along with the power rankings, we actually also put out an article that we call NFL playoff picture. And so what we've done is we've taken that expected power rating and how good a team is. We use that to calculate, okay, let's say the chiefs are going to play the Raiders next week. They are the chiefs are, have an EPR an expected power rating of 9.5. The Raiders have an EPR right now of 1.8. So what those numbers mean is they represent how much this team. So the chiefs 9.5 would beat an average team on a neutral field. So assuming no home field advantage. So they beat them by 9.5 is the expectation. Hmm. If the Raiders have a 1.8, then it's like, okay, 9.5 minus 1.8. Can't do math in my head, but let's say that's 7.7. <laughs> Sounds very close. I'm glad. It, it really makes you seem more human also not being able to do that off the top. Yeah, of that was... It's funny. I hate math. Like, I think that's the biggest, like, mis- <laughs> that is misconception of, like... Yeah, that's an upset for it's, sure. It's why I like modern-day analytics and coding, because you, you're mainly coding, right? right? Like, mm. I, I don't like math. I can't do arithmetic very well at all, especially not in my head. So... I really, I like what you've done here. And so there's a couple things that I want to just dive into to clarify for people. So a big part of what you're doing, it's not just about how teams have been, but you're specifically trying to look at what teams have done that based on evidence that you've been able to acquire before should be, and remember people, this doesn't mean will be, should be predictive of future performance. Is that accurate? It is. And, and it's worth noting that, and you know, we describe, we have an article that kind of explains a lot of different analytics measures um, and specifically EPR. And frankly, it's more predictive than any measure out there that's public right now. So better than DVOA, better than 538's model. Um, it, it really is a good measure. And that's awesome. And, and again, people need to remember, predictive doesn't mean 100%, especially in a game like football that is prone to incredibly small sample sizes, right? You know, every play, you've got 60 plays on both sides of the ball, give or take. That You're, you're going to have a ton of variance. Mm-hmm. But if you can find something that's even 1% more predictive, there's an incredible amount of value in that. And would it be also accurate to say that, like, so what you've tried to do when you described looking at the various contexts in which teams are moving the ball you're trying to account for every objection that exists to utilizing statistics um in terms of like yeah but what about you know uh, you know a three yard run on third and three is a lot more valuable than a three yard run on first and ten right and so you're attempting to contextualize for all that to find something that actually measures what matters is that accurate exactly yeah it's it's as contextualized as, as we can get or trying to be as contextualized as we can get without you know much more granular data like okay was was patrick mahomes knee hurting during this play like that's not something we'll ever have which probably was the case for a lot of 2019 but that, that's not yeah. something that that we'll ever have and, and just like the play level data that we get from the NFL. Sure. That's awesome. Yeah. I think it's super interesting. And the playoff predictions thing with the, 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 the EPR like sliding scale and all of that, like you said, so, you know, the, the chiefs are uh, a 9.5 and the Raiders are at 1.8. And so that you're, you're at that point you are doing, even though none of us can do it in our head, apparently some relatively simple math, which also accounts for like, ah, well, the the jets down here at the very very bottom do you, is that stuff is that level of work being done in like setting betting lines and stuff at this point it, it, exactly i mean so basically you can actually take this difference in epr between when two teams play so like the 7.7 the chiefs would be by my measure expected to beat the raiders by 7.7 and so let's say the betting markets like you know your your casino in vegas gives the raiders like a or the chiefs a 5 point advantage 
Mm-hmm. If you trust in the power of EPR, you'd want to bet on that and bet the Chiefs to cover because we favor yeah. them by more. And so I've kind of tested that throughout the season so far. And through 2020, we're about like 54% against the spread. I mean, if you'd bet every single game, just assuming that EPR knows more than betting lines, you'd actually be making money right now. Um, so it That's shows really the power yeah, of, of those yeah, I love that. efficiencies. And now we know why when in three years we're begging Ethan to come back on this show. <laughs> but well, now that he is a billionaire that has broken the bet, the betting system of the NFL, now we know how it happened. This is November 11th at around 4.30 as we record here. That's when we knew one day I'm gonna ask Ethan for a loan. <laughs> <laughs> I, you gotta, Seth. You gotta aim higher. I'm gonna ask Ethan for a gift. That's what <laughs> oh, I'm yeah. gonna be. It's a solid I'm, point. That's a. So- we well, gotta remember. I'm in my 50s, so it's a generational difference. That's, there. That's a great point. You I'm know, gonna be we, asking we, Ethan for a job because I'm a millennial that yeah. loves working. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's great. I just think I think that's. I'm I'm so glad that you're doing that under the the athletic umbrella and that we can uh, we can talk about that again. Some of it gets kind of granular, I suppose, but I, I think being able to talk about it can sometimes be a lot easier than trying to make people understand it in a in other forms. So I hope that, that made some things click for some people. Um, but also, there are a bunch of like very uh, direct things that we want to talk about, like what you guys were referring to earlier with Patrick Mahomes on third downs and breaking that that third down. Uh, conversion rate and, and what he does on third downs, throwing past the sticks and all of that. That's a conversation that I legitimately, this is being a bad host, but I feel like I could just push away from the microphone for the next several minutes and let you guys talk about what you think is most interesting from that. Ethan, you can go to it first and, and even like what you were finding as you were uncovering exactly how much of an outlier Mahomes was throughout that work. And then Seth, jump in wherever you ended up latching on whenever you were writing about it. Yeah, sounds great. So, I mean, basically there's this concept that that analytical people who have kind of studied the NFL for a while have agreed upon this is like aggregate level trends. So like when we look at all players, what typically tends to happen and that's that their third down performance, like how often they convert third downs shouldn't really be expected to be much different than like how well they move the ball on early downs. So if they're, if they're really good at moving the ball on early downs, they're going to be pretty good on third down. And if they're really bad, normally on, on early downs, they're going to not be that great at moving the ball on third down. When those differ, when you start to see someone converting like a bunch of third downs more than you'd expect, but they're not that great at offense, it's not expected to be sustainable. Right. So like they're expected to just go back to playing like normal on third down. It's expected to be kind of like luck. Or, or just randomness in, in football. Right. One, of, one of my favorite Chiefs analysts likes to say a lot is that may be true in the aggregate, but it's not necessarily <laughs> true in the specifics. And so- Oh, uh, preach. I feel like I'm being baptized right now. You know what, Ethan? That's a great point. I do love Nate. <laughs> <laughs> Nate, Nate loves using, using goofy words like that. But so, so just to be clear, so what's expected to happen is that a player is going to just be who he is on third down, mm. regardless of, of and, and if he does way better than that for six or seven games, you can expect him to do worse than that for six or seven games to kind of average it out over time. Essentially. Yeah. And, and so what we found with Mahomes though, is he's better than any quarterback in like the history of the NFL, at least that we've had this level of, of data that we can look at on a play level, what's going on. So back since like 1999, he's better than any quarterback in the history of the NFL on third downs at converting those third downs. But he's been doing that in his like one game in 2017. I think he had a few ridiculous third down conversions, his entire 2018 season, his entire 2019 season. And now he's still doing it in 2020. So right. what Seth and I dove into is okay. Like this is 
a consistent trend we're seeing with Mahomes, maybe there's something here and it's not just luck because he's been doing it consistently for so long now. Um, and what really got me interested in it is looking at the air yards. So I think this is something that it's becoming a more common measure that I don't think needs to be explained too much, but it's basically just mm -hmm. how far vertically you're throwing a pass, like how many yards the ball travels in the air from the line of scrimmage. And so a lot of fans get upset when it's third and 15 and their quarterback throws a three yard check down and right. the running back, you know, might get four yards and then get tackled and the quarterback gets a higher completion percentage. He completed a pass, but there was no chance of that converting the third down. Mahomes doesn't do that. Mahomes throws past the sticks, no matter how far the sticks get moved. Third and 17, he throws 18 yards. Third and 18, he throws 19 yards or at least 18 yards. So that was the, the unique thing that we really haven't seen another quarterback do. The only quarterback who throws as far on third downs is Mahomes is Josh Allen. And he doesn't exactly throw to his receivers all the time on third downs. <laughs> <laughs> and so that's, you know, what, what Seth wrote about and, and what we discovered is just he's changing the underlying behavior on third down. He's throwing in a different way than other quarterbacks. And so it was reasonable to think that the outcome that like that he's converting more third downs might also be sustainable because he's doing something different there. Right. And and so you made me a couple of just unbelievable graphs to demonstrate Mahomes' aggressiveness on third down. And I mean there's two different ways to look at it, right? How far you're throwing and where you're throwing relative to the sticks. Um and so I'll just go, you know, relative to the sticks, right? And so what's so crazy is let's say it's a, uh, you know, third and 5 right? And that's where third and five is where Mahomes and the rest of the NFL kind of converge because they both throw about four yards past the sticks on average on third and five. And then what happens is as you get to like third and, you know, six, seven, eight, nine, 10, 15, 20, the rest of the NFL just has this sharp decline, right? To where by the time you're at about third and eight, the NFL, on average, is now throwing to the sticks. And when you get to 3rd and 10, they're throwing a couple yards short. 3rd and 15, they're throwing like 6 yards short. Whereas Mahomes, he never actually dips below the the depth of target relative to the marker until maybe at like 3rd and 20, he's throwing like 3rd and 19 and a half. And it's such unique behavior. And what I love about what you did is you just kept looking at things to try to figure out why is he so different consistently. But if I remember correctly, it's not just that he throws deep. It's that he's accurate throwing down the field. And he doesn't take a ton of sacks, right? Because those behaviors are associated with success on third down too. Exactly. And I mean, that's obvious from, from the eye test. If anyone watches the Chiefs, how many of those crazy third downs that he's converted, he scrambled out you know, dodged a sack, shrugged off a defender. And then right before he crosses the line of scrimmage, he delivers a dart. Like he's, he's got the best awareness of where the line of scrimmage is in the NFL. And he doesn't take sacks on third down, which is the difference between him and someone like Russell Wilson, who Russell Wilson might try to throw the ball deeper at times, but he's also going to hold on too long and take that sack. And Mahomes has just been so good at not taking those sacks on third down. When did you, when did you say, Ethan, that that, that sort of metric typically goes back to, as you look back in history, like approximately how long we've had data that rich. Um, so since not including the 1999 okay. season, I just think it's kind of suspicious that like, that's the year before Troy Aikman retired. And like, you don't have anything <laughs> from like prime Troy Aikman career. Like, I feel like, Oh, if we could just oh, get like, no. you know, and go ahead and leave out his rookie season. But, you know, just sort of like 1990 through 1999, I feel like you're really overlooking, you know, really a real treasure trove of information. Um, <laughs> but that's, you know, that's fine. If you I mean, if you don't have it, you don't have it. It's OK. Uh, 
I, I did just want to add, like when people talk about analytics, there are certain things that they focus on that might not always be quite what analytics should mean. And Ethan made a great point in terms of like coding being a huge part of analytics now. It's not necessarily just math. The idea behind analytics is finding things, and Ethan, correct me if I'm wrong here, I often view myself as kind of a bridge person um, because I don't understand analytics very well. <laughs> and so I've had to break it down in my brain in a way that a dog slightly dumber than a golden retriever would understand. <laughs> And it's, it's the same like what I've done for, for my football analysis career is I need crap explained to me at a first grade level, and then I'm usually able to explain that to other people. So with analytics, it's the idea of finding quantifiable information, and that's where people get hung up is the fact that it's quantifiable, so they say it's just math. It's true to an extent, but it's also like when I'm charting um, – you know, with, with the stuff that I do with Patrick Mahomes, I don't just say, hey, he looks like he had a lot of happy feet snaps that game. I count how many because it's important to know exactly how many it happened. So you quantify information that you try to find that's relevant to the question that you're trying to answer, such as, okay, why is Patrick Mahomes consistently being better on third down? Are there any behaviors that we can quantify? And then you try to figure out what of those might be predictive for future things, or whether it's an outlier, or what it is that differentiates it from everything else. That's analytics at its core, right? You find quantifiable stuff, you quantify it, you try to figure it out, you know, how it has an effect on everything around it. It's basically evidence-based conclusions, would that be a, a, one way of saying it? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I think you could even go further. You know, when we, we think of quantifiable, we think of numbers. And at the end of the day, you have to put, if you're, you're going to analyze a big data set or a large amount of data, you have to put it into a computer. So the computer has to be able to register that in ones and zeros, which is how computers think about information. But like a really cool project that Pro Football Focus actually did a while back and, and their data scientist, Eric Ear, is he took scouting reports, right? That, that people wrote about prospects. And he put those, and, and there's this thing called text analysis where you can do things like natural language processing. And I won't get into the weeds there of the, the different like analytical things you can do, but you can analyze words. You can analyze, you know, what are, what are scouts writing about prospects? And then you can use that yeah. to find similar players that have gone on to have successful NFL careers. So, you know, again, a lot of people like to make analytics and put it in this box or like have it be this, this analytics boogeyman that's always hating the mm -hmm. eye test and, and hating coaches and hating film. But like in this case, you can harness the power of scouts and, and just then use a systematic way of analyzing it. So like the way I right. think of analytics is really, it's just systematic analysis of information. It's just, it's just a way to get insights and evidence um, from a large amount of information and, and come to conclusions that aren't Absolutely. subject to the same biases and limitations that the human brain is absolutely and that's and that's awesome and by by doing it with like the the, the biggest amount of information you can get and acknowledging where there might be blind spots mm -hmm. and then trying to figure out well what information would prevent that blind spot from existing and that's what i like about how you do things ethan is you tend to you don't act like it's an end-all be-all you understand there's going to be limitations you know if you've got you know and the limitations of sample sizes and all that and by but by acknowledging those limitations you can try to find solutions for them. And that's, I just, I, I dig analytics. I'm not smart enough to do it. Um, so I, I tend to just like, yeah, what that guy said. Um, but I just, I know based on my mentions and I know based on the interactions I have that analytics can be treated as something, like you said, kind of like a little bit of the boogeyman when it comes to football. I would just tell you that if you view analytics as ignoring film, 
or ignoring context, then the analytics people you're following are not doing either a good job of explaining it or they're not doing analytics, right? At least not properly. Mm-hmm. And so I that's one reason I was so psyched to have you on here is to just kind of walk through that process a little bit. And also it led to us, what was really fun, um, so people might, maybe this is too in the weeds for analytics, but, uh, but Moo, PFF Moo, um, an awesome uh, uh, analytics guy. Um, I think he's from Germany. Mm-hmm. Uh, he works for PFF. Great numbers guy. He like, when you and I first started doing this Mahomes third down stuff, and he didn't do it out of any, you know, this wasn't any, he didn't have an ax to grind here. He was just like, he's like, there's no way. He's going to re- he's gonna go back to the mean. Like, that's just how it works. Regression is inevitable. And he fought you on this tooth and nail for a little while. And so, like, people that think analytics guys are always, like, in an echo chamber and that kind of stuff. One of the most fun things is that this year, you and him have been going back and forth, you know. Anytime (laughs) the Chiefs don't convert on third down, he's like, oh, here it comes. And then because it's Mahomes, inevitably, he then converts, like, four in a row. Exactly. And one of the most fun things was was him basically saying to me in an exchange we had earlier, and we'll see how things continue to go over the course of years. He's like, you know, he just seems like an outlier. He is just, he's the outlier, which, by the way is not a terrible nickname. I just keep wondering if that is how it's supposed to be pronounced and if this is another or this is another one of these <laughs> it's, like it's outlier. It's certainly not how I've heard it. It's also not before. how I've heard it pronounced, but there's sort of a little magic in this show of just like what will Seth say kind of slightly wrong. Really also Nate does this frequently. Oh, okay. Look, I'm from Minnesota. I don't know what you want from me. We say things differently. I'm going to, you know, I'm going to open up a bag and find some some apples. I'm kidding. I'm just we don't gonna, say apples. I wonder but... if I can crank my headphones and play this through. I maybe Danielle can just paste in the Google Google uh, hitting the voice button here. Yeah, it's outlier, Seth. It says outlier. You're an outlier. <laughs> Sounds like you're being an outlier. Yeah, I thought that. I figured that was coming. I was just sort of clicking the button over. <laughs> I know. I yeah. missed it the first time through. Yeah. I let. Yeah. Well, I mean, you tried. And that's half the battle. Yeah. Is, no. Is it though? No, it's not. No, it's not. <laughs> um, but listen, you you uh, getting right the first time would be an outlier. Let's, uh, there's another Mahomes thing going around right now that's been very loud on Twitter that I haven't particularly enjoyed that much, but it's been, it's been on Twitter. It's been very online. And do you see, Ethan? What? What? Do you see? <laughs> week in and week out. This is why I'm so hostile sometimes in, in my mentions. I just, what? This, I, I was trying to pronounce that I was trying to help you uh, stop mispronouncing a word on an audio form because you, that you totally weren't going to get tweets about or because of something else. Easy for you to say. Yeah, that's fair. I talk a lot. I got a. I got a pretty. I'm a volume shooter on that front. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Okay. I'm sorry. Something with Mahomes. Yeah, because th- there's been a lot of talk about the fact that like he has one pick this year, and it was in a very, very low risk situation for him to turn the ball over on, like basically no risk. It basically ended up being an arm punt. Um, yeah. That that stat, the the fact that he has one turnover this year is absolutely incredible. But there's been some talk about uh, turnover worthy throws and and that what that means and also and Ethan you were tweeting about this I think today recently though um something that I we may have even mentioned the show at one point or talk I've talked about somewhere with somebody the idea of Mahomes having a bunch of turnover worthy throws that don't actually get turned over is there a chance that that is going to be another part of Patrick Mahomes's game that's in some way or another unprecedented and then also just sort of balancing the because 
by by nature, you'd rather you'd rather judge turnover worthy throws because the, after you throw the ball, then it's on another player to determine if that's a negative stat for you or not. So I understand a hundred percent wanting to use turnover worthy throws as a, a smarter metric than just interceptions. It doesn't matter that way if the the you know linebacker or whoever drops it or not. But I'm sort of curious where you guys are at on on that conversation that's been going around the last week and and. What does and doesn't matter from from that little back and forth? Yeah, I mean, so like the way I look at this is um, I could not catch a pass from Patrick Mahomes, right? Like just going to throw that out there. I played eighth grade B team, (laughs) Overland Trail Middle School, starting wide receiver. I think we threw the ball eight times that year. Maybe that's that's why I I have it out for running backs. That's all we did is we ran the ball. And, but, but you look at the, the beautiful, you know, like deep high launch angle throws that Russell Wilson throws. And I'm not saying I could get to a position where I could catch Mm -hmm. them and run (laughs) fast enough, but you know, those are beautiful lobs that I could, I could catch if I'm there. And so, you know, what I'm, what I'm getting at here is I think there's something to the fact that if Mahomes is looking off a safety, he's, he's looking to his left, the, the linebacker who's like sitting in a shallow zone, isn't expecting the ball to come. And then Mahomes, you know, switches his hips and rifles it you know, at an extreme, like 60 miles an hour for a football, um, right at him, he's probably more likely to drop it. So I think, I don't think we know enough to say like whether that's what's happening or not, yes. but I just think it's interesting that it does seem to be a trend that I've heard for a couple of years now. Like, Oh, well, Mahomes should have, he should have been picked here. He should have yep. been picked here, but he's not. Yes. And that, that's such a great point because that's one of the reasons why there's some pushback from me on this issue too, because it's that same thing that I've heard about him. 2018, 2019, and so far this year. And at a certain point, how much of a sample size, because that's the argument I saw. It's like, well, you know, he's only he's only three years in. It's like, that's like a fourth of a lot of people's careers. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, at what point does it stop being a, a small sample size? You'd think thousands of throws would be starting to get there. So here's where I, I would also say this is where it becomes so important to not lump all analytics together because... With some things like, um, you know, potential picks, that's what that's what I call them when I chart them. And it's an important stat to chart. Make no mistake, turnover-worthy plays, an important stat to chart. The problem is, if you don't show, and by the way, love pro football focus, love what they do, appreciate a lot of their analysts, but this is where they get pushback from people. If you don't show the range of what a turnover-worthy play is, that's going to lead to some pushback, right? Because by definition, you're going to have a bit of a subjectivity there. You know what I mean? Like, what does a turnover-worthy play mean? Because you make a great point. Not all throws that could be picked off are equally catchable. To see Tyron Matthew every week, he thinks he should have picked off like nine passes when you know it would have required these unbelievable plays to make. And right. when people don't know that... So what I wish you could see in a situation like that, where it's like, well, he's made 50 turnover-worthy plays, was I think the number I saw. For me, when this is one reason why I do things the way I do. When I say Mahomes had happy feet this game... I try to post two or three different video clips. Now, they're not this positive because it's not like the whole thing, right? You're not going to show every single play because that just, you, you can't have that many GIFs on a computer, you know, site, screen, thing, article? Anyway. Out, outlier. Out, <laughs> <laughs> so, oh. but you, you need to be showing, you know, demonstratively what the ranges are, maybe. So, like, if I'm showing, like, what, uh, you know, what does a win look like for a pass rusher? What does a loss look like? 
And not all wins and losses for pass rushers are created equal, right? Mm -hmm. And so I think you make a really good point that we don't really know enough about the standard that's being used and how maybe like of Mahomes' 50 turnover-worthy plays, maybe what makes him unique, and this is speculation on my part, right? As to This is mm -hmm. another area where hopefully you and I get a chance to maybe chart this at some point or figure something out here. Maybe of those 50 plays, maybe 40 of them are like, you know, frozen ropes across the body where the guy's barely looking and would have to make a really good catch, right? Or right. that sort of whatever, more difficult play, and it's kind of fringy, whereas for another quarterback, maybe three-quarters of their turnover-worthy plays are kind of easier catches. And unless we know that, it's impossible to say, but we do know that he's been an outlier. I, I like outlier. I'm going to stick with that. Um, so far throughout his career on it. Exactly. I just think it's cool that Seth is sort of continuing the trend of just doing something wrong and then, you know, deciding I like it better this way and doubling down on it. I think that's kind of fun. Yeah. Hey, that's how language works, right? Like, I guess that's just, true. It's just what we make of it. Yeah. Tell that to Kelechi Asamele. I think, uh, I think he'll be, you know, surprised to learn <laughs> that his name has changed. But Seth is the one out here pushing for it. What else have you pronounced wrong, Seth? Well, I've gotten a lot of things wrong in my life. I mean, you know, pronunciations, people I thought of as my friends. Yeah, podcast you agreed to keep doing. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. no, I get it. Um, we asked for some questions also that I yes. think can lead to a few other topics I want to get to. And some we'll, we'll save. Some of them I think will be more fit for whenever Nate's here. And some will be great to have with, with Ethan here. Uh, but several people, including Andrew and Zach, had asked about some of the turnover-worthy play stuff and, and velocity ending and dropped interceptions and everything. I'm going to read this one from Kenny, and it's these are his words and not mine. And oh, I just want... Lord, give me strength. Kenny asks, how many more running backs known for their pass-catching ability do the Chiefs need to have before they start to matter? Hashtag times ours. That's a good question, Kenny. You don't have... <laughs> you don't have to use Kenny's exact terms. But I do feel like it would be wrong of us to have Ethan here and to not have a conversation about where we should go in terms of talking about running backs vis-a-vis -vis their their power and influence. Um, and Ethan, I know you had even mentioned like talking about the phrase balanced offense, and I don't I don't know. I'm I'm willing to let you kind of go wherever you think is most interesting, and then we'll see where we end up. Yeah. So, I mean, that, that's a really good question. And like, it's something that I mentioned at the start of the pod that I'd found before and, and Seth had written about before that the chiefs have used running backs in the passing game better than any team in the NFL under Andy Reid's tenure, um, including under Mahomes, under Alex Smith as well. And so it's been, it's been confusing for me to see. Um, I don't think it's any fault of the running backs they're using in the passing game, but it has been confusing to see how they're using them um, and how they're not using them. Like we're not seeing a lot of, you know, wheel routes and, and, and like designed, uh, where where Clyde is going to be the first read um, and hit like a soft spot in the zone. We're, we're really seeing checkdowns to him. Um, and so unsurprisingly, when you look at like the efficiency of his targets, they're not good, but they're not intended to be a checkdowns, like never a good outcome. It's never intentional. So it, it, I'd love to hear, Seth, your thoughts on on why the running backs haven't exactly been been used in the same way we've seen in the past in the past. <laughs> game. I think that's a, I think, you know, Kenny's question, the, the answer is, I mean, you could add infinity, and it's not going to make the running back position any more important, right? It's still going to be of lesser importance than virtually any other offensive position, at least in terms of, of what we know based on the numbers, 
right? Um, what's uh, but uh, Ethan, I think you're really you you hit a nail on the head there. Where for one reason or another, you're not seeing other than screens, which have been at times very successful, at times not successful this year. You're not seeing a lot of designed stuff that would seem to take advantage of Edwards Alaire and then let's say Le'Veon Bell's unique traits, right? Being a significantly mm-hmm. better route runner, having a certain amount of quickness, you know, whatever sort of things. And or having better ball skills, for example, like say, you know, take, you know, a couple of the catches that Edwards Hilaire has made that make him appear to be certainly capable of bringing in catches other running backs couldn't, right? So I'm curious why they haven't done that. I have no idea what the correct answer is, but until they do, you're never going to be, you know, you're still going to have maybe, you know, a little bit of a boost every, you know, a few plays a game, having someone like Edwards Alaire in there, you know, maybe let's say even five, you know, but the boosts that you're getting are going to be the difference between, you know, five yard gains and 10 yard gains or one yard gains and five yard gains. And that's never going to be as impactful as I think you'd really want to see. So I, we mercifully here, we have a pretty hard cap on this show being over in five minutes. So I do think this is safe. I think this is a safe time to just like push off a little farther into these waters. Ethan, you've, I know you've listened to this show often enough to, to know where we end up typically. I know you're obviously <laughs> like online enough to know where the conversation on running backs ends up being. I'm genuinely just really curious if there's, if there's something that you think either we or Twitter or people in general gloss over too much or if there's if there's something you would clarify or, or I don't know anything if you say we've got two good minutes to talk about running backs okay. and, and specifically for the Chiefs where you would begin that conversation. So I think uh, the big thing that I noticed um, in the conversations between Josh yourself and, and Seth is it's really like a mindset of whether you're thinking about things from a coach's perspective of here are the pieces we have mm-hmm. like what what value can we get out of them on the football field versus kind of the the general manager perspective of like the more comprehensive value of a player and like whether or not a player is worth a first round pick, whether or not they're worth an extension um, or, or a high contract. Um, and so like from, from the on field coaches lens, I completely understand why people think running backs matter. Like you see Clyde do one of his, what's becoming almost like a trademark little like shimmy juke. And he makes people miss that other running backs wouldn't miss, but that's only gaining like a couple more yards or or five to 10 more yards at most a few times a game as Seth mentioned. And so when you look at, I think the biggest misconception around running backs, not mattering outside the analytics community is this is not like an aggregate level finding. This is like almost no running back ever has mattered like almost ever. And since we have good data, which is like back to 1999, you've got like Jamal Charles, you've got like Marshall Falk, like Zeke has been incredibly efficient, but it's hard to separate that from his line, which at one point was like one of the best offensive lines in, in the game. So like, this isn't just on average running backs don't matter, but it's just like, you cannot find a running back who is better than what you can get from a Damian Williams, what you can get from a Darwin Thompson, even sometimes that is worth the investment that NFL GMs like to invest in them. I'm really glad. I'm really happy that uh, I was waiting as you're like almost yes. no running backs as matters. I was going to be like, except because you, you saying Jamal Charles was like, that was, that was the thing that we needed to just like get to the end of this podcast successfully. Yep. yep. And oh, I wish insane. he could come back and be under Mahomes. It's going to be forever. One of the things that like makes yeah. me sad about being a Chiefs fan is, is Jamal Charles and the offenses he had to deal with. 
it's, yeah. it's a true travesty. I, I have never, and, and you can, whether you want to confirm it, I know we've got a hard out here, whether you want to confirm it by numbers or by film um, or ideally a combination of the two utilizing analytics, Jamal Charles really was one of the only running backs that like moved the needle. Like, and, and I mean, single-handedly drag some offenses to respectability, which is just, you usually just don't see that. And that's one of the things that made him so special. And another argument that hopefully by the time he comes up for Hall of Fame admission, people have learned to talk about this stuff in a way that's smart enough that that comes into play. Yeah. And then also, like, you also think that uh, running backs don't actually matter in any way unless they're Jamal Charles, right, Seth? That's what you said? <laughs> sure, why not? <laughs> Do you have anything on what Ethan just said in, you know, a good 30-second chunk? I think I think he's absolutely right. And I think you and I have even talked about that at times where it's just kind yeah. of a conversation ender for us. The moment that a player's on the team, as far as how it happened, I just, I'm not a big opportunity cost guy with the draft because I feel like it's a crapshoot. So I'm kind of just like, nah, you know, and so I'm only looking at, you know, what they bring to the team in that sense. Whereas I think you have more of like a general manager type viewpoint of it. And that often explains why we come down in different places. Because it's not like you're sorry Clyde Edwards-Alaire is on the team or you don't think he's a really, really good player. For you, it's that general cost analysis. Exactly. And I think that's the thing, you know, in, in a brief 30 seconds that I do think some people get wrong on Twitter is they think some people like me are sitting here angrily typing behind the keyboard every time Clyde has a good run. And like, I love watching it. I, I love watching any positive Chiefs play. I'm a fan like anyone else. Um, I just also, you know, for whatever reason, I was raised by two attorneys. Um, you know, attorneys love to <laughs> argue, so I've heard. <laughs> and, um, I, I just like to push back on narratives that I think don't have have much evidence. But as a fan, I'm able to completely turn that off and, and, and enjoy every minute of Clyde Edwards Slayer doing something fun. Well, bless you for that, because I'm on I am too online, I think, <laughs> to have gotten to that point yet. But I hope that's something that comes before the end of the season, uh, because that seems like a better way to live. Uh, also, you being raised by two attorneys, all of a sudden, I'm, you know, all the pieces are coming together. <laughs> the yeah. reason that Seth is the way he is comes. It really all makes sense. Um, thank you, Ethan, for uh, doing the show. This It literally I mean, it flew by. I feel like we got to. 40% of the things I thought we might talk about today and probably less than 40% of the questions. We'll we'll do another show with Nate back sometime early next week and uh, look at the football weekend altogether as well. You can follow Ethan on Twitter at Ethan C. Douglas. You can check out the uh, the power rankings, all sorts of stuff. If you follow him through there, if you want anything, by the way, in terms of the analytics side of things, you can go check all that out through his Twitter. There was, there was an article you retweeted uh, a day or two ago that was really interesting. A couple of book suggestions that had some little snippets about analytics uh, just in the tweet about the books that I thought was really interesting. Don't have time for it tonight, but you can go check that out at Ethan C. Douglas on Twitter. Of course, Seth is at Real MN Chiefs fan. I am at JB Briscoe. And that's it. That's Time's Ours. You can tweet, by the way, at me and use the hashtag Time's Ours if you want to get questions in for next week. And uh, yeah, Ethan, thank you for being here. Yeah, thanks, thanks for having me. This is a lot of fun. Uh, now, Nate's not here. So, Seth, if you want to have some sort of funny quip or impression or um, you want to pronounce words in kind of your own fun, quirky way, we just need a way to end the show. You know, one might even say that me ending the show is something of an outlier. <laughs> <laughs> so bad. <laughs> <laughs>